In episode two of Design ADU Today, Drew Thomas, founder and chief creative officer of Brolic, joins Gary Rosance to discuss the preparedness of students entering the industry. The discussion goes into details on their design skills, including static versus interactive design, the importance of typography, and the emergence of motion as a way to enhance meaning. Drew also discusses the lack of understanding on how to be professional in communications ranging from initial emails to presenting work. Finally, the conversation goes into the ever-changing role of the interactive designer and the design process needing to incorporate responsive design. Hello, and welcome to Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary, screen-based, interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest, Drew Thomas, is a founder and the Chief Creative Officer of Brolic. He oversees Brolic's design and technology projects and he heads the development and planning of Leverage CMS. With a background in graphic design, Drew has a passion for visual design and branding, but his expertise includes web and application development, UX, UI, usability, 3D modeling, and product design as well. Drew is a vocal proponent of responsive web design and has been published by Smashing Magazine and Net Magazine on the subject. He's also developed several open source code projects, most notably Responsive IMG, a jQuery plugin for responsive images. Since Brolic's incorporation in early 2004, Drew has designed and developed and managed countless creative projects and brands. He is a graduate of Drexel University with a degree in graphic design. Welcome, Drew. Thanks. Glad to be here. I greatly appreciate you agreeing to do this. All right. Um, I'm going to start by, I've read a few of your articles on Smashing Magazine and your, cool. and your article in Net Magazine, but I'm really interested in an article on Brolic's blog titled From College Life to Digital Marketing Agency. Mm-hmm. The article got me thinking you'd be a great person to give insight into how prepared or underprepared entry-level designers are coming out of school. So, I mean, from your perspective, are students, graphic design students, generally prepared? Yeah, you know, I think um, as far as the work goes, a lot of graphic design students are pretty prepared. You know, we can take an entry level, someone coming right out of college, or even a lot of times a senior in college, and they have good typography skills, they have good design chops, usually they even have a, a really good kind of knowledge of the industry. Um, the one thing that, that I think might be lacking a little bit is, is some of the less tangible stuff, some of like the, that initial email, um, s- sometimes the presentation skills, that kind of thing, which is not, it, it's not a, a student's fault. You know, it's kind of like that transition from college life into real world life. Um, so I think we don't hold it against students, and I think most firms wouldn't hold it against students, but there's a very big difference between someone directly out of school and how they communicate um, with with someone who has two, three, or five years experience. 
Um, I, you know, I've I've talked to uh, enough design um, firms and 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 heads, and and they all keep coming back to the same thing that that is, I, it's almost business development skills. I mean, yeah. they don't know how to present their work. They don't know how to work with clients. They don't know how to um, do all these things. And as a design educator, I'm really sympathetic to that. And I, I mean, everybody's asking for it. So yeah. I'm kind of stuck though, is, is that stuff that educators should be teaching considering that we are the educators in the classroom, not the ones that are, you know, have that boots on the ground experience in the industry, working with clients on a daily basis. And how do we balance that? How do I mean, we, how do we like incorporate that into a curriculum? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's important to get really in depth. Like as a design educator, it, it, it might not make sense to, you know, really focus on exact wording and presentation of, of the individual. Presentation of a portfolio is different. And I actually think that's, that's pretty well taken care of. You know, we, we see the, the actual books from a graphic design um, candidate are usually pretty up to snuff, like very, you know, high quality, good craft and all those, those little details that matter. I think the thing that students don't realize that educators might be able to just, just kind of touch on or just kind of make students aware of um, would be more of the, it's almost like personal brand. So it's like you have a really nice portfolio and you come into an interview and everyone pretty much knows to, to dress well and, and that kind of thing. But then they're not necessarily prepared for like they don't have an exact order or pacing of their portfolio or maybe, you know, if you ask them a question that's that's not that's a little off the beaten path, they might not have an answer ready and get get kind of, you know, fumble over their words. So it's it's those little things which really, you know, by themselves are not that big of a deal. But I think it would be helpful, you know, as coming out of, of school maybe to learn or just to be, like I said, just to be aware of the fact that an employer is going to judge you on everything from that initial email on and not just judge you on like, did you use correct grammar and, and spell the company name right? Which is actually something you know, a lot of people actually spell our company name wrong on the emails, which is a little crazy. But it's also like, um, like, are you mature? You know, do you show enough respect in your email for the employer's time? Do you show that you've taken care to, to do a little research? You know, is it, a personal one-off email or because sometimes you can tell that it's it's basically kind of just a copy and pasted template email they might have sent to you know 10 to 100 companies and I think it's not as much teaching exactly what to do in those situations but more like saying hey pay attention to these situations you know this is this is an important factor it's not just about giving them your portfolio link so that they bring you in it's you know they're judging you on a few sentences and comparing you to a number of other candidates based on a few sentences. So you know, those sentences are important. Great. Uh, I was actually just kind of wow. lecturing my students actually yesterday about that, but the one-off nice. template for the email. Cause yeah. I, I said, no, you got to do it. You got to write something specific to each person, mm -hmm. do the homework. Um, what kind of, you know, so, Stu, what kind of work do you want to see in a portfolio? Uh, and again, you're so you're a 
digital agency. Is that a, is that yeah. safe to say that? So what kind of yeah, work... that's how we describe ourselves. Okay, so what kind of work do you want to see in a portfolio? So what we do uh, as like a company philosophy, we do a lot of development work. I mean, most of our work in some way involves the web or code, but we are a design first shop. So all the work that we put out, um, whether it's a web application, whether it's marketing campaigns, or even we do monthly reports for our retainer clients, all of that work is design focused and designed. So when a candidate comes in, you know, we, we like to see that they have some knowledge of like the web, web trends, possibly even code, because a surprising number of design students, like graphic design majors, are learning code in school. But more importantly than that, we like to see that understanding of um, applying the, the design mentality. So not like the exact rules of print design or you know things like that, but, but taking the idea of communicating information and of organizing information and playing to the medium, those kind of like soft skills, we really look for that. So I think that most clearly translates into typography. And we even tell a lot of a lot of candidates when we're interviewing that that we really focus on the typography. You know, that's typography on the web has, has taken off in the last couple of years. And it's something that's it used to be really limiting for web designers, and now it's like sky's the limit. So now we can take all of these design principles and apply them to the web. So it's a different beast. So if we see an all print portfolio, that's actually okay, as long as we can kind of see that that can translate to the web, or as long as something they say when they're talking to us shows us that they're thinking about the web and they're thinking about different devices or how, how a user would interact with something as opposed to you know, a traditional print design. If you take like a poster or a brochure, you know, people might be turning the pages or looking at it, but they're not really interacting with it, and that brings up all kinds of design concerns. So it, it's not about mastering those concerns at a school, but it's about understanding them and kind of giving us a clue that uh, that the candidate can handle that kind of thing. Um, this is a kind of an aside. This is like my own personal kind of uh, question. Now, like, why do you think there's been such a emphasis on typography on the web lately? Because it, to me, the only thing that's really changed is the, plurif- um, the proliferation of the fonts that you can use because the, the tools for hierarchy line height um not kerning of course but those all those other tools were already baked into html so yeah why have and css so why have they been ignored up and i think they have been ignored up until recently because it does it coincide with the fact that you know you have actual real sets of fonts to use now um yeah you know what i think that it's it's it coincides in that when there weren't widely spread you know when you couldn't really just easily use a web font and you kind of had that that choice of like six system fonts or whatever it was i think at that time as a designer it's it's kind of like disheartening or discouraging so you you build a site and you're using arial and it might not be the it might not be conveying the brand or conveying what you want to convey so i think as designers people just kind of give up for lack of a better word it's it's kind of like why am i going to really treat this type or like really care about the line height when it's not, you know, it doesn't look how I want it to look anyway. 
and and that's not really a correct way to think, obviously, you know, and, and there are there have been people, you know, since day one of the web who've who've cared about type and who've done nice things with the tools we had. But yeah, I think as soon as you know, basically Google Web Fonts, I think Google Web Fonts being free and being really easy to integrate spurred all of the other web fonts into pop popularity. But I think just seeing a different font or seeing, you know, the ability to combine two fonts in a a nice, you know, bold header font with some really easy to read body copy. I think those things just kind of encourage designers to take it to the next level and then to start caring about, you know, whatever, line height, kerning, all that kind of stuff. You know, that that brings up another problem that I run into that I I'm wrestling with as an educator. So I will teach, you know, design principles. I will I will teach HTML, CSS, responsive design, and I'm doing all this technical stuff and but i'm not teaching like exploration and i think that kind of comes into the typography like well you call you could have yes you couldn't you couldn't use fonts but you could explore hierarchy you could just you could really push that and size and and scale to to achieve the same thing and so there's like this lack of exploration on like pushing the medium of web design yeah, and, and I kind of use um, Firstborn, I believe, is the company. They did this uh, Pinterest bomb where they uh, took over Pinterest, and they were like just basically like made this print um, this um, campaign that, that utilized the web medium in ways that nobody ever thought humanly possible. And I think that's I'm starting to wonder myself: is that lacking? Like that exploration in web that has been there for years upon years in, in print. Are we just kind of like stuck in doing the same old thing? Um, yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of that. And I think even um, there's even people who write about it as far as the kind of, uh, the kind of like boilerplate design yeah. that, that people do and that kind of thing. But I think also at the same time, the, the only way that the, the web as a medium has grown is by people exploring and pushing those limits so i think what it it probably is is it's a, a handful of people who are saying i'd like to do more you know how far can i push this and then those kind of things eventually become standard on the web and then there's this much larger population of you know people who are, are web designers by trade maybe and you know whoever else who are just kind of following those trends we're just kind of saying here's what i have to work with so here's what i'm going to produce and instead of saying how can i make this happen even if it's a really big challenge and even if there's all these concerns they just kind of say oh you know you can't do that on the web and they stop and i think that there are enough people who push it that it's not like it's not detrimental to the web as a medium but it would be amazing if more people would would think of it as an evolving growing organism and not think of it as this is the web, this is what you can do, more as, you know, what do I want to do on the web and what can I make happen and where will the web be in two, five, ten years? Yeah, I'd love to figure out a way to incorporate that in the class, but it also kind of, it's a catch-22 because you need to, they need to be able to make something Yeah, yeah. to then figure out how to do more advanced stuff. I, it's, yeah, definitely. It's this logic loop that I, I keep getting stuck in. Um, I just think, get back a little bit on the on the topic of, um, you know, like you know, students, you know, where you you see them not being prepared in that 
in, in one of it in the presentation, um, the, you know, like how to, how to send an email and or what type of email to send. Um, I, there's so many resources on your blog. <laughs> are you guys, are you going to be doing one of those? Well, another, uh, resource yeah. like to, to, um, to kind of explain that stuff. Yeah. Cause I think that would, I mean, I've, like I said, I, there was a, tons, a lot of helpful stuff on your blog, but just like that one resource, I think yeah, it would really help educators just to like, cause I don't know if you need an, you don't need an entire class. It's just a matter of, Hey, go read this before you go. Or, you know, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we we're in the process right now of creating just that resource. Um, and actually it came about, so we, we weren't thinking how can we teach students how, you know, to be more prepared to, to go into an interview process or to get a job. We actually came to this idea because we wanted to do a marketing campaign for ourselves where we weren't really marketing ourselves, something kind of where we could give back a little bit, something where we could, get some traffic and maybe they see our logo, but it's not a hard sell. Um, just because we do other things that are harder sells, we do. We did one very successful kind of like give back campaign. And, and frankly, we benefit a lot from it. So it's not like we're just, it, you know, it does benefit us, but it also can benefit other people. So we're thinking, what can we do? You know, what's a, what's, what do people want? What do we see that, that could help people? And from there, we came to this idea of kind of like a, uh, like we've been calling it kind of like a, like a toolkit or a survival guide, which is kind of like a quick guide to, you know, getting a job and getting out there into the world. And so, you know, we're going to do like a, it's going to be like a microsite. It's the best way to describe it. A couple pages where you can enter and you can say, I'm a designer or I'm, you know, an interactive designer, I'm a developer couple different options and then you can just see some really good helpful quick resources so we're including things like you know that email stuff I was talking about like what what to say how to send an email some quick tips and then we're gonna have even some little snippets some examples of this is good this is bad you know we're gonna have publications you should read specific articles you should read even people that you should follow on Twitter um, things like that, and just kind of give a quick overview so someone can feel prepared, so they can kind of say, like, this is this is how I keep my finger on the pulse, and they can explore from, from that resource, in theory, they can explore, you know, forever and find everything they need to know, but it's not going to be too overwhelming at first. I, I can't wait for that, because I, in addition to helping the students, I think it will also really help us as educators just kind of... S- I mean, if you're taking time to like, say, give this advice, it's obviously something that you're, it's a need that you see is missing. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that is kind of like valuable feedback to educators. Like this is what the industry sees missing from the work. And this is what we kind of set, you know, see how we can help, you know, like span that, fix that gap. And I think educators can also kind of take a look at it and see, oh, okay, I can, oh, I can easily just, you know spend a half a class, make them write an email or something yeah, as part yeah. of the part of a project. That's what we're hoping for too. And, and hopefully 
if, if we do it right, it's going to be something that educators will want to share with their classes and even maybe want to share with other people, um, you know, just because it's a great resource. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Cool. Um, you know, the, there's, um, I, so I'm, I'm actually also really interested in your, your take on motion. Mm-hmm. So I think motion is a, is a formal design element for hierarchy and emphasis is critically undertaught in design education. So you've yeah. written the article motion, the new skeuomorphism and mm-hmm. using motion for user experience on apps and websites on that subject. Yep. So can you, can you elaborate on, on this importance of motion and yeah. Just... Yeah. Um, it's so motion is becoming a popular topic, I think. Like, I think we'll start to see a lot more of this. But the idea is that, you know, as as we've been breaking away, as the web has been breaking away from print as a medium, there's all kinds of, of things people are realizing, and, and it's changed so much. So at this point, you know, I, at one point in my career, I was telling people, remember, the web is not print. Like, it's important to know, like, we're not, you know, it's a new medium because it was very much like print. I feel like now it's it's very much on its own. And I think part of the evolution of the web is is kind of like, hey, we can we can move things on a page and we can, you know, add transitions and do little interesting things that aren't actually just design deep. They're not just, you know, visual and aesthetic. They're they're functional. So in real life, when something changes, it's not like snap your finger and it changes. In real life, everything has transitions. And everything moves and, you know, that kind of idea. So why not take that into our designs? Because it's only going to help usability and it's only going to improve the experience for someone when they, you know, if they click a button for a menu and that menu slides out instead of just popping into place, that's a much better experience. And they kind of get some context on, you know, where that menu came from or why it happened. And it feels much more natural. So, you know, for me, it's, I was very big on, um, and I am very big on responsive design and, mm-hmm. and kind of like writing about that and pushing that. But at this point, it's, it's very accepted. I mean, responsive design is web design now. You know, it's, it's very much like I, I don't need to be on a soapbox about responsive anymore because in general, people, people buy in and people get it. So I was on this kick for a while of, you know, what, what's my next soapbox, more or less. And, you know, I realized that this this concept of motion can be huge and it can be really important just as far as, as creating a better experience. You know, the, it's really cool to do motion and to do little bells and whistles. I like that, but that that's not really, that's not meaty enough for me. You know, what I need is I need that user experience element and the the something to say there's a function behind this. <clears throat> and And because there's a function, you know, then I just, it, it kind of like took off in my head and now I'm, I'm very big on it. I'm incorporating it into all of my work. And, um, like you mentioned, I wrote a few articles so far and hopefully more to come. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's really surprising to me how, well, it's not surprising to me because in, in you know, as you mentioned, it's no longer responsive web design. It's just web design. So design education is still, you know, catching up to, to, to that. Um, so I think it's, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, when I see mostly print dominant portfolios, this, you know, this lack of like motion as 
to like draw you know attention to an element it so it, it doesn't surprise me that i we don't see more of it yeah. um so i'm wondering how do you how do you train somebody to to do that i mean when you or how do you you know expose this to you you know employees when they come in how do you like make them aware um that you know motion can be used in this powerful way that they haven't really um, thought of yeah i mean it's not it's the the initial explanation the initial kind of like aha moment for someone that takes a little bit of of effort so i can i can show someone my articles or i can just explain this concept but actually once people get it it, it really makes a lot of sense and i feel like most everyone I've explained it to, and definitely, you know, the the people on my team here, just just got it. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And and not only does it make sense, but it, it's fun. So for a designer, it's it's kind of like, wow, that's functional and better for the user. But also, like, this is kind of awesome. You know, I can I can spice things up. I can try new things, and um, and that part is pretty easy. I, I think the slightly trickier part is um, something else that that I allude to in my articles, which is. The first step is is getting the motion in there, but the second step is doing that motion right. You know, like kind of listening to the laws of physics so that it looks correct, you know, because people's brains, they're used to the real world, so they need to see some of that, you know, easing to start, easing to stop, and some of those kind of things where um, if you don't do the animation right, it actually stands out and, and kind of detracts from a website. So I think that's where I really, I mean, that's also fairly easy to teach because it's more or less you add some easing into your motion, you make sure that, that context is there, that things make sense where they're coming from and where they end, and then people get, get enough that they can kind of take it from there and explore on their own. Yeah, I, I wish I could remember where I heard this from, but somebody basically said, if you think it's the perfect duration for the animation, cut it in half and then it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we... I, there is yeah there's something magical about motion for designers when they see you're like oh wow this is so amazing and i and i love it and they go a little bit overboard on it oh yeah and, and you know it comes from it comes from animating like yeah. moving something on a screen and you watch it as a designer and you you watch it slowly start and then slowly stop and it looks really great and you just forget for a second that you know the user is not going to be watching it they're just going to be <laughs> subconsciously taking it in so yeah all of a sudden you have this like really slow you know, potentially beautiful transition, but it's, yeah, it's, it's twice as long as it needs to be and, and actually not very usable. Yeah. Do you, um, with the animation, do you, does your agency, do you stick to just basically doing CSS animations or do you go into jQuery and JavaScript animations? I mean, what, um, yeah, I mean, we try we, basically just out of a sort of good practice, we try to stick to CSS first. So if at all possible to, you know, if it's possible to do an animation in CSS, we will. And if it's at all possible to use like, um, like a translate Y instead of a moving a margin, you know, th there's little things that we'll do that we think are more, uh, you know, better for performance. Mm -hmm. So we definitely stick to that. But in the end, if, if you can't do what you want to do in CSS, you know, move to jQuery. Um, we do we do JavaScript stuff without jQuery sometimes, but mostly we just use jQuery because it's it, it just allows, especially designers who aren't as like in the woods with the code. You know, that it allows you to to animate things easily. Um, but it's 
that's more like the the kind of universal concern of like don't rely too much on JavaScript. And I think most people rely a lot on JavaScript, and we rely a lot on JavaScript. But you don't want to unnecessarily have something rely on JavaScript. So the, basically, that mentality um, would would translate into the the motion. And then the the other thing we're doing recently, which is really cool, at least on a personal level. I mean, I've been loving it. Is doing a lot of SVG animations. Mm-hmm. So there, I mean, it, the way we do it a lot of times is actually CSS, but that that gives you some some really cool kind of control, and and it's a little more like kind of merging Illustrator or a vector artwork program in the web. And so that's been really fun too. Yeah, I love that SVGs have just taken off and it's kind of yeah. funny that we've really had the ability to use them for quite some time now but it's not until recently that it's taken off yeah it's crazy yeah but um your your last uh answer just kind of leads me to this next question so in addition to the design you list a lot of development projects including creating a cms and jquery plugins that you've you've done yeah um, how did you get these these development skills and how important is that you know students be that mythical unicorn that can code and design yeah yeah so i i got all of my development skills uh or at least 99 percent of them from google which uh i mean it's it's where i got them yeah and and i love telling people that because a lot of times people just think it's this crazy thing and you you have to go to school and all this and i'm i'm sure that i would have learned a lot faster if i were you know a cs major but what I did was, um, you know, when, the, when our company started, we actually weren't doing web design at first, but we saw this, we saw this opportunity in web design. So as the, the designer of the company, I was just like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll learn to code. And so, you know, it, it literally was, um, was typing every question I had as it came up into Google. So, you know, from in the beginning, it was like, how do I change a link color? And I'll just write that. And then to now, you know, I still to this day will use Google to to help with things. But it's it's kind of like this. It, it opened up at some point. So now I can go find my answer in two seconds flat. Whereas when I started, it would I would weed through a lot of stuff I didn't understand. And there would be trial and error. And I would, you know, look something else up in the process of my original question. So I think that, that way is definitely how I learned. Um, and I took it much further than I would say the average designer would need to, especially if you work for a company that has developers. So where we're at now, so back then I I was doing both design and development. Now we have 16 employees, so now it's it's a little different. We still all try to, you know, we all collaborate and, and we can all, we're all multidisciplinary, but we have dedicated developers. So the designers, they don't have to know the really deep code. But at the same time, we really encourage, I might even say require, but it's not even, it doesn't need to be a requirement. Everyone wants to do this. We encourage all of our designers to know that front end stuff. So at least to know CSS, to know enough jQuery that you can kind of, you know, work your way through. So even if, even if a designer can't do something complex in jQuery, they might ask a developer to help them. They can go back in after the developer's written it and tweak things and, mm-hmm. and really get that kind of the, the like pixel perfect attention to detail that, that is important for design. But um, yeah, it's, it's more like the more code you know, the more of a bonus that is, but you have to know an, at least enough to speak to a developer and hopefully enough to 
tweak your own designs to, to, to get that last final polish onto your designs that you originally created. Right. Um, I'm going to ask you just uh, one more question and before I let you go, because I know your time's valuable, but it, it, it has to do with mock-ups. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you, so how do you, how would, how do you want to see designers do mock-ups nowadays? Cause I, I think that's, fundamentally changed it's no longer just let's throw something in photoshop and that's a mock-up because you need to be able to show that animation you know that motion um you need to be able to you know like to show these you know different breakpoints you know from the different devices that's going to be viewed on has has how you mock is how developers i mean designers do mock-ups changed yeah i I think extremely changed i I think it's currently changing and it's it's been extreme it's for us we we definitely like most design firms we started out where we were doing full photoshop comps of Mm -hmm. every page of every website we built which is like i mean it made total sense and and it was actually very important for clients to see that a lot of times you know it wasn't like you could just have a client trust you on a design. They, they'd want to iterate on that design and have revisions before it even gets to code. Um, but now, you know, all, all the things you mentioned, and, and especially since responsive design has gotten popular, you know, everyone's kind of trying to figure out what the best way to not only design efficiently, but to also present that to clients efficiently because it makes a lot of sense from a design perspective. I could I could use Photoshop or any of the there's you know, there's a lot of Photoshop competitors basically that are that are doing really well. Like I any of those design programs, I could mock something up for myself. I could take it to a certain level where I understand it and then move it into code. But that doesn't work if, you know, for a client and especially doesn't work for a client who's paying a lot of money and they need to make sure that, you know, everything's on track. What uh what we've done and we moved from the all Photoshop kind of like every page comps to this in-between system where we'll design maybe like one to five top-level pages, and then we'll design, if, if there's a specific feature or there's something that kind of stands out on their site, we'll, we'll design that. And then we do a UI kit. Uh, we call it a UI kit. You know, people call them all different things, style guides, yeah. style tiles, which I guess are technically slightly different, but same idea. Um, and then we kind of combine that with wireframes. So we'll do full wireframes, um, to show a client every page, but we combine wireframes and then those system designs. And we have to show a mock-up of the homepage usually just because clients still need to see that. But I imagine that might even go away at some point. But for now, it's that it's the mix of the wireframes and the, uh, the kind of system design. And to, to account for responsive, um, we, use, we use UX pin for wireframing. Okay. Which is a great tool. I mean, I know a lot of other people that, that feel the same way. But you can actually show them a lot of the responsive stuff in there. And you can make little notes in there. So they'll, they'll put a little pin. And so when the client views the, the UX pin presentation, they can kind of like roll over these pins and see notes. So a lot of times for motion or for if there's something a little more complicated, we just put in a note. And then we get on a phone call with the client and explain it to them. All right. That's great. Um 
So thanks. Uh, Drew, before I let you go, is there any advice you'd like to give design educators? Or are there any projects you are working on that you'd like to share that we didn't discuss already? Um, well, as far as projects, I, I think the the most appropriate and, and kind of the exciting thing we're doing right now is, is going to be this, this uh, toolkit survival guide or whatever we end up calling it. I, I think that is going to be something really cool and, and hopefully something that we can get a lot of traction with. So I think I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Um, and as far as the, the design educators, I mean, kind of what I touched on as far as, um, as far as like the emails and the initial presentation, I, I think to kind of wrap that up into something that would make sense to, to teach, I think it's this concept of being, being an adult, first of all, and being, you know, a respectful equal when you approach a company. So, you know, if, if we get an email from a, a student, typically a, a student has no idea, you know, they're, they're nervous and they have no idea, you know, what a, a normal work interaction is like and they don't know the person they're emailing, they don't know if they're really big and scary or if they're really approachable and nice. And I, I think a, a good concept that the educators could potentially help get across is just that everyone's a human. So, you know, if, if you're a mature and respectable human, that should come across in all of your communication and conversation and kind of that, that idea that, that you're ready, you know, you're ready to be an adult, for lack of a better word. You know, I, I don't know if that, <laughs> that totally even makes sense. But no, it, it does. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know exactly the, the problem <laughs> where it's come. Not, I don't, I don't want to say the problem. I just, I understand that idea. Yeah. So. And it's really an advantage more than anything else for the people that do it, because it's not like I hold that against someone, but I definitely notice when someone comes in and, and they, they approach an email or, or a phone call, like, you know, like they have had five years experience and not like they're kind of brand new, not knowing what they're doing. All right. Well, thank you. Um, that's all we have time uh, for today on episode two of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Drew Thomas, for being so generous with his time. I also want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and the CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA, and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases and updates about the podcast, visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash design edu today, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes and Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve the show, contact me through the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU Today. Today.